I'm taking my most successful, most awarded, and personal favorite beer and trying to make it even better, at least different. Today, I'm going to make a barrel-aged version of my old ale. Welcome to Big Monster Brewing. I am Matt, and in this episode, I am making a barrel-aged version of my old ale. Old Ale is one of my favorite styles of beer, possibly my favorite for many reasons. It's rich, it's flavorful, it's complex, and mostly it's rarely made, especially locally. So when I find it, it's a rare treat that I thoroughly enjoy. That's pretty much what led me to making it on my own. And it's the style that I focused on early to help me get the hang of all grain brewing. It's actually the first gold medal beer I've ever brewed, and it's the most awarded beer in my recipe library. I brew a big batch of it every January 1st of each year for competition season, and it's a recipe I haven't changed a whole lot since the first time I brewed it. So you might ask, why am I changing it now? Well, I'm not really changing it. It's going to be the same beer, but it's a beer I'm going to use to work my way into brewing another style of beer, namely wood-aged beers. I've had two very delicious wood-aged old ales, one from a local brewery and one from a bottle I got at a bottle shop so long ago. I don't even know what its name was or what state the beer was brewed in. I do remember it was outside of Florida, but that's the most I could really remember about that other than it being a very fun and delicious beer to drink. Having tried those, I think the old ale recipe I'm now using on a yearly basis is a great candidate to start testing out some barrel aging of my own. Now, quick note on the term barrel aging, at least the way I will be doing it. There's some big air quotes around those two words. Today, I'm brewing a one-gallon batch, and if that is conjuring up the imagery of aging this in a small one-gallon wooden barrel, that's not how this is going to be aged. The key to this style is the wood part of that aging. I'll be adding wood to this beer. We're going to talk about that in a separate set of recordings in this episode as it goes along today. This is kind of a two-act show. We're going to go through the brewing process, and then when the beer is done, I'm going to talk about that, quote, barrel aging, unquote, process. So on that note, let's get started with the brewing. I'm starting off this brew day with something I don't think I've had to do on the show before, but have done in the past because of different, uh, I guess, mechanical issues is what it comes down to. I tried to brew yesterday, and I put everything together on the anvil to set a scene here. I take the valve off every time I'm done brewing and, and clean it really well. It separates into a few pieces, I think three altogether, if I don't take the actual ball valve part uh, apart, which generally I don't have to do as long as I clean it the way I do after a brew. Holding it together is an O-ring on the front, and then a Teflon washer on the inside of the anvil, and then a nut that presses that up against and seals everything together. A Teflon washer is a little pliable. It's actually, it can be quite pliable, depending on how much force you put on it. And I put a considerably too much force on it yesterday. And by that, I mean, I was, I usually hand tighten the valve together and that's enough. That's actually more than enough between that and the rubber O-ring. Everything seals together and I, I believe everything probably expands to an extent too when it heats up. 
But for some reason, I just uh, I had the valve in a weird position, and I decided to kind of just really wrench it into position. And, and as I did that, the nut on the back did not move, so it really torqued into that Teflon ring and bent it up. And I didn't really notice it because didn't think that was a problem until I put all the water in. And I mean all the water that I needed except for the sparge water. And it began to leak. And the only place this can leak is through the valve. And I first I thought maybe I tore the O-ring doing that kind of really strong adjustment on the valve. But I took it all apart. I didn't. But I saw that I really, really... I didn't mess up that Teflon ring, but I really bent it out of shape. And I don't think it's irreparable, but I also have never replaced it. So I went ahead and put an order in an Amazon that could get me ones by morning, this morning, which it did. And it, it was a little, it's a, a little thinner. It's the same size. The diameters are perfect. They, I matched them up. They, they're great. But it's a little thinner. I don't know how much thinner, enough that I could notice. And I didn't get out the calibers to figure it out. But I could notice that it was thinner. So I put it on and I put just enough water in to cover the entire valve system to make sure that's enough for it to hold the water in. And I'm happy to say it's been at least, I don't know, 15 minutes more or more than that probably. I didn't really time it. I just put it in there and I figured by the time I remember to check it, which was a considerable amount of time, I don't know if it's leaking or not because it's a, it's a right away thing. And not a drop of water is on the outside of this anvil. So... I feel good about these replacement parts, and I'm going to go ahead. This is tap water, so I'm going to dump that out. I don't want that chlorine and chloramine. And then I'm going to get the real water in, which, of course, is going to be RO water, and start the brew day on this uh, new addition to my old ale. I guess it's the old, old, old ale with a new twist. I got the real water in the anvil now, which is the RO water. Uh, together, I'm starting with 2.78 gallons. Well, I'm, altogether, I'm using 2.78 gallons for this batch. So I got 2.28 in the anvil and half gallon on the stove. That'll heat up to about 170 degrees. So let's get this started. I'm gonna turn the anvil on, which there is that. And I'm gonna set the mash temperature. We're gonna mash at 153 degrees for 50 minutes and do a mash out at 168, which I'm sure I'll talk about more when I get to it. There we go, 153. I'm turning the power on to the elements. And I'm gonna turn the pump on, which should be primed and flowing. And yep, that's pretty good flow, I'll leave it at that. So let this heat up when we get somewhere to 90, 100 degrees, all of the salts. That's kind of just a, that's not the, a hard, fast rule. That's I'd like it to get to at least that because then it helps dissolve the salts more. If I miss that target and it gets all the way up to 153, I'll still add the salts and let it recirculate for a few minutes. So that I just don't want to. I don't like adding them before 90 degrees. It seems like they kind of don't really, uh, especially the calcium chloride, really doesn't disintegrate very well and kind of accumulates at the bottom a little bit. So, but if I wait till 90, even better, 100, then never have a problem. So that's what I tend to do now. Well, this is interesting and not directly related to this brew day, but related to the Anvil Foundry. I set everything up and turned it on and I didn't like the way the wires were crossed between the pump and the uh, anvil. So I shut down the anvil so I could unplug it and move the wire again. And I've mentioned several episodes before, I don't remember how many at this point, that it takes 10 <laughs> minutes for this thing to kick on the heating elements. I was getting worried something was burning out. 
Well, now it turned on as I was recording that last bit, and I didn't even notice. I, I wondered what the heck that noise was. It was unexpected yet, and lo and behold, it's the fan for the element. So I think I might have reset something doing that and don't know what or how, but we'll see because I need to use this again in a day or two, and then my wife needs to use it on the weekend. So I'm going to definitely pay attention to how fast they flip on. I think I might have solved the problem without even trying and really have no idea how. I just got the grist together for the old ale, and this is one I've been using for, I, I think, years now. I, well, this would, at the very least, this is the second year, so that constitutes years, but I think I've dialed this into where I want it for a while now. And I'll go through it first. It's a pretty hefty grain bill as far as amounts, total amounts go for one gallon, but it's a, it's a very big, it's a big beer. It's not the biggest, but it's, it's a pretty sizable ABV beer, or at least it should be. And it starts off with three pounds and 12 ounces of Maris Otter, which that right there is, it's more than some of the entire grist of some of the other one gallon batches. Then to that is 2.3 ounces of Crystal 40, 1.2 ounce of Caramel Malt, uh, one, I'm sorry, 120L Caramel Malt. I'm reading off the recipe and it says, said Caramel Malt first and 0.2 ounces of Chocolate Malt. This is one of the few recipes I have that's not like a stout or a porter that I haven't converted the chocolate malt to a pale chocolate to kind of give that softer flavor. Because I think in this beer is one of the exceptions of my recipe that that kind of little bit of bite that that's going to give. It's going to give mostly color. But it's going to give a little bit of astringency to it, a little bit of just a touch of bite behind all that caramel. I think is really needed to help balance out this beer. And along with this, um, the caramels are gonna be a lot of the flavor. The Maris Otter, of course, is a really, can be a really rich grain, especially when it's mashed high and used in large portions like this. But in addition to that, there's two specific boil additions that we'll talk about when we get to that, that also add to the richness of this beer. So I think having something in there, even though it doesn't stand out necessarily as a single characteristic. I think having something in there to tame all that just a touch really benefits this beer. So I haven't changed that addition, chocolate malt, straight chocolate malt to pale malt like I have most of my others. So it's one of the few, if not maybe the only one I haven't done that with because I've really enjoyed using pale chocolate as a substitute for a while, but not in this beer. So that's the grist. I'm gonna mill it up, get things, uh, stage at that point because i should still be waiting for the water for a little bit 10 15 minutes after i'm done milling this all up all right the malts are milled and the water is actually ready i heard the beep happen just as i finished running everything through the mill so i'm going to mash in i did stop and make this recording for a quick addition i since this is a very big grain bill for one gallon batch and we've had this discussion before about how the, the water level is a little low-ish when I do one gallons in the Anvil Foundry. Because of that, the mash is probably going to get pretty thick. So I put two good handfuls of rice hulls in there to help put some more, uh, what would you call it, some more uh, channels, flow channels into the grain bed so we don't get a stuck sparge. Stuck sparge really isn't a big deal with one gallon. It's much bigger with the five gallons. But still, I'd, I'd rather not deal with that at all. So then one good prevention is rice holes. So I put in, like I said, two handfuls to kind of just help that out. And should be okay. Hope so. I really just want to get this one done. Uh, yesterday threw me for a loop with that leak. <laughs> I, I very uncharacteristically 
decided to cut my losses that day and, and live to brew another day, which is not like me. I, normally, I'd find some kind of valve that half or uh, some kind of washer that half ass fixed the valve and probably been brewing till two in the morning. So uh, I guess uh, you can teach an old dog new tricks every once in a while, especially when it comes to flowing water all over your kitchen floor that you're trying to clean up before your wife comes home, which makes me think that might have been more of my motivation to cut my losses yesterday. I am mashed in and that is a thick mash. That's really thick. Like I'm not even sure the water's gonna cover it, but I'm letting it settle and then I'll start recirculation and see what happens. But now I'm going to turn the power down to usually do 80%, but actually, you know what? No, I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna go down to 78%, not quite 75, but 78 and see how that, uh, was. I lost my train of thought. Oh, see how that helps maintain temperature. I've noticed with one gallon batches, uh, 80 is a, even still a little too much. Like, oh, there it goes. It just hit 153. So we'll see what happens when it's at 80 with a one gallon batch. And let's say I'm trying to maintain 153 as an example. Sometimes it'll reach back up to temperature. And by the time everything shuts off, those coils are still hot. Those elements are still hot. So it can raise it up to 154. Rarely uh, 155, rarely two degrees higher, but it has happened. So I'm cutting off a couple percentage points on the power that's being fed to it, and hopefully they cool down a little faster. We'll see. It's, that's kind of hard to wrap my head around because I, I feel that when the coil... Well, no, it's not entirely true. I'm still wrapping my head around that as I speak. As I was going to say, when the coils get up to temperature, they're up to temperature. But the coils are not the temperature. The coils are just off or on. It's the liquid that's up to temperature. So I guess it does make sense to cut some... Shave a little power off it. So we shall see what happens. And since that took me a good minute to explain oh this is really thick it's it's all wet but it's not submerged but it's also very rocky because i stirred it so i'm going to start the recirculation hopefully the cascade of water over top of it will level everything out and it'll just be a nice uh swamp look to it that's that's the kind of mash i expect out of this like it's not going to be underwater but it's going to look like a swamp right now it kind of looks like a marsh if that's a difference it is in my head so that analogy worked for me I'm about 15 minutes into the mash and that consistency I was looking for is not quite, oh, it's not even quite, not quite there. It's not there. It's still kind of lumpy. Now, I don't mean dry lumps. It's definitely getting uh, liquids. It's, it's getting, what the, the wort is running over. It should be pulling all the starches and extracting them just fine. It just, I just don't know what the, fish, the efficiency is going to be like. I have a feeling it's going to be uh, lower than I expect. But I, I don't know if I've mentioned at all in this process yet. I, this is the first time I'm doing a one gallon batch on the Anvil Foundry for this recipe. One gallon batches for this I, I've done in the uh, mash in a cooler, the mash in a bag method. So I don't really, I could add it that last half gallon of sparge water and probably be okay, but I wanna see what the numbers look like as is. So I know how to adjust the recipe or the process, I guess. So I'm gonna let it go. I'm going to let it go because if the efficiency is drops like I'm thinking it's going to, I can add the gravity points I need with dry malt extract. I got plenty of that. And I'm not really worried about the flavor as much when it comes to that this time for this beer because I am doing that barrel aging. So there's going to be a little bit of bourbon and wood in there to kind of, uh, I don't want to say hide, 
the lack of flavor that I intended, but enhance, let's say enhance the flavors it does get out of it. That's a better way to say it. So for this particular batch, I'm really not all that worried about adding more malt, just, just plain malt, not, no additional caramel malts or anything. If I need to, to get my gravity and get my ABV up as I would if I wasn't adding adjuncts to this later in the process. So if I am going to find out that this is not the way to do this one gallon batch, this is probably the best batch to actually find that out on. Okay, I'm getting the hop additions together here. So let's talk about that real quick. So we'll talk about the hops first. I got two hop additions. First, at 60 minutes, there's going to be 0.18 hops of ma or, uh, ounces of magnum hops. So that's going to give us about 34 IBUs of bitterness, which is a little more than in most malt-forward beers, but this is a very strong malt-forward beer. Even at 34 IBUs, you're really not going to notice the bitterness in this beer at all. Then, for just a little bit of rounding out the balance of the beer, 0.07 ounces of Willamette, which is about, at best, two and a half to three IBUs, just to give it a, I want to say hot presence, that's not even going to be there. It's just kind of another thing to cut through everything else in this beer. Now, I talked about, when I was putting the grist together, about the things that are going to really kind of make this beer even stronger and more robust and full-bodied, and that is two additions at 10 minutes. First is going to be 0.4 ounces of brown, dark brown sugar. Not just brown sugar, but dark brown sugar. That's going to be a fermentable and leave behind a lot of, well, not a lot, but a significant amount of sweetness, some dark caramel, dark sugar characters. It's dark sugar. That's what we're going for there. The big thing that's really going to make this beer its signature malt forward winter warmer flavor if you want to call it that i could drink an old ale in the middle of the heat and be happy with it but it's often been referred to as a winter beer is the 0.8 ounces of lyle's black treacle that i'm going to put in here and that if you've never used that before it's a syrup of some sort oh i mean a syrup of sorts i should say and it's not quite molasses it's not quite a sugar, it's it's black treacle. It's it's very distinct. If you've never had it before, I certainly recommend it for a beer like this, but in very calculated amounts. It's not something you can just pour a whole can in and kind of uh, well, maybe you could. I'm not quite I'm not quite sure how to quantify this. I'm saying it's a it's a very distinct flavor. Here we go. Here's a better way to describe it. It's a very distinct flavor that can help your beer and then too much can hurt your beer so if you're planning a recipe with this that you think it's going to go good with i would caution to side on cutting it shorter than you think you need and see how that turns out then add to it because if it's something that tends to go in the boil i don't think i've ever seen it in a recipe where it's not in the boil in fact i don't know how you use it in the mash i'm sure, I'm sure you can use it in um fermentation or post-fermentation but i've always seen it in a boil you can't take it out so and it's a flavor that will linger and change the big thing is that it really does change post-fermentation like i will when i go to keg it and taste my the old ale i can really taste the black trickle or treacle <laughs> not trickle but the black treacle 
as it ages, I can still taste it, but it's less dominant and it's melting in with a lot of the other flavors as well. So in this particular case, it melds in over time better than it does initial, at its initial tasting. So it's something that's what I'm really getting at is I can't tell you what a good amount to use is in any beer. It's just a, it's going to be a experiment because of such a distinct and can be a strong flavor. But when you dial it in and it works with everything else in your beer, there's literally nothing else like it. it this old ale would not be the beer it is and not as have done as well for years if I hadn't added black treacle in any amount so that's it's not even a secret ingredient it's it's in a ton of recipes for old ales the amount is dialed in for the rest of my preferred grist at this point and that is really going to give this beer that signature malt forward big beer taste so that is what's gonna tie everything together and really make this old ale what it what it is i just measured out the black trickle and there's two things i wanted to mention first i went ahead and tasted it because i realized i really didn't give a very good description of what it tastes like it's because i didn't have it fresh in my head so now i do and think of the richest thickest most decadent caramel you've ever tasted and double that taste add in a little bit of burnt sugar like like it was stuck to the pan and burnt but in a in a good way it gives it a little bit of a roast a little dark a little smoke flavor almost and then mix that in almost half and half with some molasses regular molasses not blackstrap that stuff's disgusting <laughs> in my opinion with, with molasses and that's black trickle that's how i just tasted that the other thing i wanted to mention was i can't like i said i can't really give you a confident uh, suggestion on how much to use in any given recipe but i can give you a couple tips on how to measure it so first off regardless of what vessel you're pouring it into when you're almost at the amount when you are three quarters of the way to the amount you want stop pouring and let that little tiny stream just just let gravity do the work because if you get impatient and you pour a little more in it, it uh, takes one big it's this stuff is so thick it takes one big glob to mess up your entire measurement and getting it back out is awful i've had to do that so it's going to be when you get to let's say you're putting an ounce in and you get the three quarters of an ounce that last little stream that little thread is going to feel like it takes forever and you're going to get impatient but it is so much less work than getting it out second now regardless of what vessel you use to put it in you're going to end up very likely if not like uh, guaranteed to have to submerge that somewhat in the hot water boil to get it all out it's that thick so if you use plastic, you can't put that in there very long or even really put boiling water in there. You might have to scoop some out, let it cool for a couple of seconds and put it in. If you do that, you're almost guaranteed to have some left on the sides and the bottom. So that's what I, I do. I use a plastic container, which I should learn my lesson as I'm discussing this right now. So I, I needed 0.8 ounces. I put in 0.85 ounces because 0.5 is roughly what's going to be left in there that I just won't be able to get out without melting the cup. If I use like a ceramic cup, like a ramekin or something, then then I got it, it, that can take the heat all day. That's a better way to do it. Then I'd put exactly the amount in, but I I would still have to use some 
liquid to get it all out because this thing is going to stick to whatever you put it in even if you put it in like a piping bag <laughs> to really squeeze and take all the air out there's gonna it's it's gonna be there you need some assistance with the hot water so those are the two things i wanted to mention having them fresh in my mind with measuring this out all right i am now setting the anvil to 168 for a 10 minute mash out <laughs> and the dogs are also eating if you can hear the ruckus in the background we have a we got a new dog his name is shorzy and he's helping me brew as much as andy did which is not at all they just seem to both get now both get in my way been in front of everything i need every time i need it so at least we know the trend is continuing so okay what was i saying oh match out um this i let this match go a little longer just because of timing i had to get a couple things done i ran to get the mail so it probably was about a 75 minute mash by the time this is done as well which is and it was recirculating the whole time that's probably beneficial to this really thick mash we shall see and speaking of that too after the second stir i kind of leveled out the mash manually with a with a spoon i didn't pack it down because that would be counterproductive that'd be making a, the, the grain bed too hard and the and that would really that would certainly screw up the efficiency and maybe give me a stuck mash but i kind of leveled it out and that seemed to help there seemed to be a lot more water pockets in it things seemed more uh wet <laughs> that sounds weird but it just seemed seemed to help so i'm not so concerned about the efficiency now as i was before but i still think it's going to take a hit i won't know until i get my first uh what was it a uh, pre-boil gravity reading that'll tell me how far off or how close this actually is I got the malt pipe out of the anvil draining now, and I'm gonna sparge. I got my water. It's about, last measurement, 167, so close enough. It's such a small volume of water. I cut the uh, heat before it gets to like 175 because it takes seemingly 10 times as long to cool as it does to heat up. Actually, that's not even true. It's closer to 100, as ridiculous as that sounds. So it's probably somewhere in between my exaggerate, both my exaggerations. But anyway, just wanted to mention what stuff around nothing really remarkable i will say actually i take that back i will say that the last stir and then checking in on the mash during the mash out it was finally about at the consistency i was hoping for from the beginning so that's a positive i still expect the efficiency to take a hit from about half that mash time being less than uh, desirable uh, conditions i guess you'd say so, but I think it improved in the end. So that shouldn't be too terribly bad. If it's, uh, I don't even know what my numbers are. I can't find my recipe. All right, let's, actually, I just found it. So let's see. If, so pre-boil should be 1046 and post-boil should be 1081. That seems like a lot. Oh, of course, because of the brown sugar and the treacle. Yes. Okay. So that is probably correct. Yeah. Um, so if it's, um, I'll give it. Oh, see, 10 seems like too little, and 20 seems like too much, and 15 seems a little too much, too. So let's say I'll give it about a 12 to 13-point spread. If it's, it's, if it's over, I, I'll, I'll jump for joy. The stronger it don't know, the better. I, it's not going to be over. But if it's under, say, 13, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of base it at how it looks, too, like 13, 14, somewhere around there. If it's under, then I'll give it a little dose of... of uh, dry malt extract to bring it up but if it's if that's all it is if it's a little less than that like 12 or less under my numbers i won't mess with it but that's a ways off that's at least an hour way off because it's an hour boil plus the time to 
Spartan transfer. So let me get that going so we can actually get to those numbers and find out what we got. I've transferred the wart into the boil kettle and I took a pre-boil gravity reading before firing up the stovetop and it is 1.048 on the money, just where it should be, which you probably remember because I think that's recording I just did before this. So I'm not so worried about the efficiency now. In fact, I'm, or not the efficiency, but the starting gravity by the time the boil is done. I'm also doubly not so concerned now because I looked at the range for Old Ale just to remind myself, and the range is 155 or 1055 to 1088. Now, again, the numbers are guidelines. They're not, you don't have to submit that into a competition saying my starting gravity was 1075. That's just something to aim for to help you dial in the style. So, with this being so high, or the, or predicted to be so high at 1081, I'm thinking this might have been a recipe adjustment I did to compensate for the bad efficiency with the mash in a bag ton or mash or I'm sorry mash in a bag process and didn't readjust it for the anvil so this may end up in that mid-range which is usually my target so I didn't realize I did that but makes sense that I would have and in this case kind of glad because this is one beer if it's over gravity and you have more alcohol than you are anticipating that's really only works in your favor with this style with this beer it doesn't happen with many beers imperial beers like imperial stout i suppose it does but this one it really does so as long as we're above that halfway mark i'm really not going to mess with it because it has all the other adjustments i i want with the specialty malts and i really need to take better advantage of the note section of beersmith to note when i'm what I'm adjusting this recipe for, for the mash or for the cooler process or the anvil process. I, I usually put it in the title, but this one just said barrel aged old ale one gallon. So, and I, but I do have different mash, what do you call it? Mash uh, profiles, one for an anvil with the mash out and then one for the cooler. It doesn't have a mash out, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything because I can go ahead and make the recipe, copy it, under a new name and just change that and then a month could go by and i forgot i did that which is feeling like is the case here but i'm not saying that i'm remembering that's the case because i don't remember but either way i'm really not worried about adding any more sugars to this other than what we're going to do in the boil so it's heating up now should just be a few minutes this should be about 170 degrees as it is already so it should not take long for this to get to a rolling boil and then we can start the actual boil process Boil is started officially, the timer, and I added the first top addition. That was the Magnum hops and nothing else till 10 minutes. In fact, almost everything else except the Warflock is at 10 minutes. The brown sugar, the second hop addition, the black treacle, and the yeast nutrients. Now, there's no way I can do this all in 10 minutes. So what I'm probably going to do is when we get around 12 minutes, maybe... 11 and a half, I'll do the, the treacle first because that is the one that's going to take the most work. Everything else is dump in and walk away. This is going to take a little effort to get every bit of it that I can out of it. So about maybe 11. It's not going to take 90 seconds to get it all out. So about 11 minutes, I'll put the black treacle in. 10 minutes, I'll do yeast nutrients, brown sugar, hops. In fact, I could put those all in the same cup at that point, dump them all in at once. And then five minutes or so, whatever's left, I'll put in the whirl flock and then that, that's it. So I'm cleaning now and I'm going to save you 
the aggravation and boringness that that is and come back when I have something more exciting to talk about. I've done all the 10 minute editions and I did start doing the black treacle at 11 minutes and I think I, well I know I jokingly said I wouldn't need, I think 90 seconds, that's a number I can't remember, or the diesel I can't remember, but whatever number I said that I thought was too much was probably not enough because I don't know why this time it would not move. I was basically holding the cup upside down and it, it was moving, but it was going to be like, I don't even know how long until anything started coming out of that. So I immediately had to spoon in some hot water. I didn't dip the cup in the boil because that, that just would have, it's plastic cup, that would have destroyed it. But taking little spoonfuls with the stirring spoon that I used for the whole process and, and putting it in, cooled it down just enough to not melt the plastic, but also loosen up the treacle. And I had to do that. I, I lost count how many times I had to do that to finally get most of it out. And I did leave, a, I, I probably could have gotten it all out, but I purposely left a little behind because I over poured for this, but I didn't realize it was going to be that way. So as soon as I was done, I didn't even look at the timer because I knew a minute had passed and I put everything else in. So that was the second hop edition, the yeast nutrients and the black sugar, which was far easier than the rest of or the, the black treacle. So those hop editions got added a little late, but it, 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 like not, not more than a minute late. I don't think it was two minutes, but it was. It was getting a little. Uh, I was. I was surprised like how difficult I know that treacle is. So, I'm noting that for anyone listening and for myself in the future to remember to do it a different way. I think the best way, in my opinion, to do it is to put it in a some kind of container that can hold up to a boil, and that way you can just get scoop out some boiling hot wort with it very carefully preferably with some kind of uh, heat protection on your hand and then then let it loosen everything up and dump it back in i think that'd be the fastest way i will hopefully remember that next time i use it i've already chilled the wort and i got it in the fermenter i didn't record any of that because i've done that several times and will in the future as well i did stop and record because i wanted to mention when i poured the wort into the fermenter Basically, all you can smell is that black treacle, which triggered a memory of that happening before. It almost smells like you, that's all you're going to get. But I, I know for a fact when I taste this after fermentation, when it goes into the keg, if I do a tasting or even after carbonation, whatever, whatever point I tasted at within, say, three to four weeks, it, that is not going to be the case. But that aroma, that initial aroma, and this does happen every time with this recipe, smells like just it's going to be a glass of black treacle and if you like those flavors maybe not a bad thing but that is not what's going to happen in the end as long as everything goes all right as long as the, the fermentation goes the yeast is, yeast is healthy we don't get a lot of odd fla off flavors that will definitely subside so not worrying but that every time that happens i always remember that's all you smell when this is done I now have the yeast pitched, and I want to talk about that real quick for anyone that is wanting the details of the recipe. This is Tartan Imperial brand yeast. It's the Tartan strain, which is the 1728 from Y yeast. It's the Irish strain, I believe. And this is was kind of my missing link. I used to use the German ale 10, uh, yeah, 10, 1007, 1007, and which is Kaiser, I think, for Imperial. 
And I, I used that because when I first made the old ale, that's all I had that I had enough of to pitch in that big of a starting gravity. And I liked the results, so I figured if it's not broke, don't fix it. Or ain't broke, don't fix it, I guess is the phrase. Then I kind of, when after a break and the next season came around, I wanted to try to experiment with some different yeast styles and see what it brought to the party, in a sense. And I tried that on this old L, and I really liked it. I, that did seem to be a missing link I didn't know was missing until I tried it, because I, I do tend to ferment that one warm, just not really... Um, Actively, just I, I end up sharing a fermentation space with it with a yeast that needs to be around 67 or so. So that's a little warm for that yeast. And when you kind of get towards that range, 67, 68, 69, more fruity esters come out. A little lower, you can get it to be pretty clean, but higher, a little, little bit of fruity esters. Not as strong as like a British ale yeast or a, um, that's the only thing I think off the top of my head, but a little bit. And that little bit... I, I don't think you drink the old ale and say there's fruity esters in it, but you drink one made of the with the German ale, which is usually super clean. Like, doesn't really add anything but the alcohol, which is good. That's what it's meant to do. And then you taste the one with the Scottish ale, and you notice there's a difference. There's a more flavorfulness to it, um, a little maybe perception of a little more body, but you wouldn't sit there, I don't think, at least in my taste my palate you wouldn't say it's esters there's something more rounded about it more not even balanced just a more round overall flavor and i i like that better than my original version so that's what i use now but i also want to mention this being imperial i have a blow-off tube ready in fact it's on it now i just need to put everything in the in the fermentation fridge because i learned my lesson with the german L yeast a couple of brews ago where it just exploded. So I expect this to do the same. I think the, uh, in my experience, the Irish ale strain is already more aggressive than the German ale. So if that German ale from Imperial was as aggressive as it was a few brews ago, I'm preparing this time because cleaning up that mess sucks. So I'm going to put this recorder down, get my hands on everything as I need to answer this, put it in a fermentation fridge and let the yeast do its job. One thing I didn't mention last recording, which is definitely important to mention after everything we've been through in this brew, is the the starting gravity, the final number. It is 1074, which is lower than the target of 1081, which if all was normal with the mash and the thickness and the level of water, we should have gotten a 1081. But I'm not surprised that we didn't because of like kind of the first half of that mash with all the, the entire grain bed being submerged for at least at least 30 minutes, maybe even a little longer. So that's not surprising. 1074 is surprising, though. I'm surprised it's it's that, well that high. I, that's that's more than the midpoint of the style target in the guidelines. So I am I didn't mess with it. I left it at 1074 because I'm very happy with that number, and I think it all. I think missing that number comes down to the thickness of that mash. So I think I need to try this again, but with a no sparge version so that all the grains are submerged. Now, without sparging, I think efficiency also takes a little bit of a hit, but it should raise uh, the initial mash. It, it may, using the exact same recipe and the exact same amount of water, but without sparging, putting all in at once might lead me to the same number, somewhere around 1074. That is my prediction. 
based on nothing yet. But I, we're not there yet, so I got to get this one done first. So I need to get this in the fridge, like I said last recording, because it's not doing any good sitting out here on the counter. Okay, the beer is in the fridge, and fermentation should be starting at least overnight, if not sooner. And that alone, by the time it's done, should be a pretty good beer. If everything went well with fermentation, if everything was clean, no infection, if this comes out like the recipe has has in historically, this is going to be a good beer on its own. But we're not done. There's This is my first attempt to, quote, barrel age it, unquote, which we'll talk about more shortly. But for me, I really can't even begin that for at least two weeks, maybe longer, because it's a fairly big big beer but it is one gallon so so maybe two three weeks we'll see but for you this will continue on with whatever recording comes next as we go into the next phase of this particular batch of beer all right the beer is done and we're at the barrel aging process of the show there's several ways to add wood to a beer and the three most common are wood chips wood cubes and wood spirals Again, those are the most common, not the only ways, but I mentioned these three ways because that's what I've been researching to lead up to this test. I really want to use spirals eventually in this, and that's when I say eventually, I mean when I move up to a two and a half or maybe even a five gallon version of this beer. But this is a one gallon batch, so I kind of have to crawl before I run. I looked at oak cubes, and that's what I was planning to use, but the problem was I couldn't find the cubes in the toast level and the type of wood that I wanted to do this initial test with. So I'm using oak chips. Now, I was pretty much evenly torn between the idea of cubes and chips. So using chips as a second option sort of isn't really a second option. It just kind of led down to availability. I'm happy to try either. So I am have no qualms trying chips in this test batch. The toast level that I wanted is medium. They typically come in light toast medium toast and heavy toast. And I figured I'd start somewhere in the middle. And again, this is the, I'm generalizing. If you go to a specialist who toasts and prepares wood for wines, bourbons, even breweries, I'm sure you can dial in almost any level between those three options that I just listed. For the type of wood, again, there are three readily available types generally. That's American oak, French oak, and Hungarian oak. I read probably the better part of 50 different wood aging recipes and from the ones that have a final description of what the flavor is like what the wood brings to this beer it seemed like french oak is probably gonna give me the profile that i want with this old ale which i already know by memory how that tastes so i'm speculating on which wood to use seems like french oak's the way to go we're gonna find out obviously So to summarize all that, I am using medium toast French oak chips. And you probably already put that together if you're following along with all that ramblings. I'm going to use six grams of these chips and I'm going to soak them in bourbon before I add them. But there is some prep work to get them ready and added to the beer. So let's go to a second set of recordings about this, again, quote, barrel aging, unquote, process. For the next step of this barrel aging test slash experiment slash learning process, I have a very small saucepan, like really, really small. And I got maybe 
a cup of water in it. I don't even think that much. I'm going to bring that up to a boil and then I'm going to kill the heat. And right when the kind of the bubbling stops from the boil, I'm going to put the wood chips in and stir them around. I don't even think I'm, they're going to be in there for 30 seconds. Like just enough to coat them, submerge them. What this is doing, this is a kind of, this is my own step taking a lot of other pieces of information together now the first first thing i want to do is definitely rinse them off i've heard that on, on almost every thing i've read about it we want to rinse them off because they had all kinds of dust on them and this, they're wood so and they've been packaged and shipped and jostled and even more dust was created so that'll rinse them off the heat will might help kill stuff but the bourbon's going to do that mostly but this should also help open up the pores for when i add the bourbon in that's kind of what i'm trying to do and i don't want to boil them directly because i don't want to make a tea i don't want to extract the wood flavor out of this i just want to rinse them and open up the pores this is going to extract a little bit because i'm putting it in near boiling water but not as much as if I actually directly boiled them for even a minute. So it's going to be, I, it, I say 30 seconds. That's, that, that's, I don't think it's going to be that long. I think it's going to be like 10. I time it, but I want my hands free because I want to kind of visually look at it. When it looks like everything's soaked, I want to drain this saucepan through a strainer, get those chips in a mason jar, and add the bourbon. So I don't even really want to kind of distract myself even for... A couple seconds more than i need to but that is the plan that's what we're doing now and i am currently waiting for this water to come to a boil and then kill it and move on okay the wood chips are done and i kind of counted to get an idea of the amount of seconds i've submerged those chips and I counted to 20 as i was stirring and i tend to count at the cadence that i'm doing something and i was stirring fairly aggressively so it's probably about 15 seconds even though i counted to 20 i was probably counting a little fast so i would say somewhere between the two and it did like i was thinking even at that little bit of exposure to that very hot liquid it started to extract and make a tea which smelled absolutely wonderful but it it didn't get very dark as it was it was quite light so i i I'm not worried about losing all the wood flavor. I think we still got plenty of wood flavor here. So I lay them out on a towel that I sprayed down with star sand, even though, like I said, this bourbon's going to sanitize these just fine, just to get them a little cooled off, but I don't want them dry. In fact, let me just kind of put my hand... Oh, I feel no radiating heat from these at all. So I think it's okay to put in a mason jar. I got a little eight ounce mason jar i'm gonna put them in and i'm gonna cover them with bourbon and i'll do that i'll come back and talk about the bourbon those wood chips are now submerged in bourbon and they will be for the next 24 hours and the bourbon they're submerged in is elijah craig small batch 1789 kentucky straight bourbon whiskey as i'm reading from the bottle now why that one because this is the bourbon they had at the liquor store in the little, what I call airplane bottles, that wasn't Jack Daniels. That's really the only reason. I did check with a friend who knows more about bourbons and whiskeys and scotches than I'll ever need to know or even want to know. And I checked with him. He said, yeah, that's for what you're doing. That's, that should be fine. And so that's, that's the only reason. Because if I got a full bottle of something specific... Like, whatever. I don't I mean, you know what? Johnny Walker Black. That's, I don't even know. I think that's a bourbon, maybe. Maybe it's not. But let's say that. 
The rest of that bourbon was sitting on my shelf probably until the day I die or until my friend came over and drank it because I am not a whiskey drinker. I do like it, the addition in a really rich beer like an Old Ale or a Wee Heavy or even a barley wine, but not on its own. So this is literally more than enough that I need because I've dumped this whole 50 milliliter bottle in and it is, it's more than I need for those chips that I'm using, but they're, they're definitely submerged. And that's it. That's all I can do for 24 hours other than clean up what I just did with the, uh, oh, what was it? The saucepan, which I, no, oh, I put it in the sink already. Okay. So I really just need to give it a quick wipe down, get that little bit of wood tea, uh, aroma out and flavor probably in there too. And that's it. So, uh, yeah, sit and wait at this point and probably do something beer related with three or four other beers that I have in mid process. A thought occurred to me when I was wrapping up that last recording, and that's the part where I was talking about there's more bourbon in here than there needs to be. And I realized I'm going to be adding some of this bourbon into the beer as well. Not all of it, but some of it. And having more bourbon than I need... Well, let's backtrack a little bit. This bourbon is going to be extracting wood as well as the wood observing bourbon. It's kind of like a give and take. So having more bourbon in there than I need is going to kind of dilute that wood flavor a bit. Now, we're talking, like I said, 50 milliliters and 6 grams of wood. I mean, you're kind of splitting hairs, but I still want to make a baseline to work on work with in the future. So I went ahead, and what I did was I, I, I dumped about, about a third of the bourbon that was in there. So now we have a more concentrated wood flavor in the bourbon that's that's left and looking at it that's I, i'm happy with this before it just it did look like too much bourbon now it looks like just like visually it looks like it's half bourbon half wood in there and so it, it, it i'm sure <laughs> that's not, not the the greatest um measurement scale to use but i'm trying to give something an idea of what it looks like so it looks like a, a good even mix and that's what i want so about Somewhere between a third and half of the bourbon that's in there is also going to go into the beer. Not all of it, because I think that's going to be too much bourbon, but at least a third of it. Maybe maybe a touch more. It's, it's going to be um, eyeballed. Again, it's not going to be uh, weighed and measured and whatnot. But having said all that, I'm much more comfortable with the amount of bourbon I'm working with than I was when I ended that last recording. Well, in addition to getting the wood prepared and bourbonized, I also kegged the old ale today, and I have a sample here, and tasting it just fresh out of the fermenter, no carbonation. It's 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 almost a shame to alter the beer, but I do have plenty of this this exact recipe, this exact beer on hand. So the, the, I, I do think the bourbon barrel aging can actually add a lot to this, so I'm kind of looking forward to it, but... It is also just a very good beer on its own, which is kind of why I picked this one. It's like I didn't want to take a bad beer and try to doctor it up into something else, into a wood-aged beer. I want to take a good beer, wood-age it, take it to a different, I was going to say a higher level, maybe not just a, just a different level. And uh, it's, 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 it's like when you're working with almost anything, if you're using bad ingredients, you're going to not necessarily get great results. So... Starting off with a good base beer using a decent bourbon, some very aromatic wood I found as I was heating it up and hopefully putting this all together into something unique. We shall see. 
It's 24 hours later. The wood chips have been soaking in the bourbon, and I got a couple more steps to get them into the beer that are kind of short in of themselves to talk about in recording. So I'm going to lay them all out, what I'm going to do here to finish up. First, I'm going to boil a muslin sack for 10 minutes, get that sanitized. Once that's cooled down, or sterilized, actually, <laughs> closer to sterilized there. And once that's cooled down, I'm going to filter the bourbon chips through a uh, fine mesh uh, strainer I have. Take about a shot, no, actually about half shot glass worth of that bourbon and save that. That's going to go in directly into the beer. I'm going to put those wood chips into the muslin sack so I can reach them and pull them when I get the exact wood profile I want. Tie off the muslin sack. I have some fishing line sitting in a little cup of sterilizer or a star sand, I should say, and I'm going to tie that to the outside of the keg, the, that filament of the, what do you call it, the fishing line is thin enough that I can still get a pretty good seal. I'm not really worried about oxidization on one gallon of beer because it's not going to be around that long. <clears throat> Plus it's an old ale, which is actually an oxidization. Wow, that word I said earlier with the word oxygen in it is a acceptable characteristic for that. It's not considered a flaw for that style of beer. So that's another reason I'm not worried about it. So, um gonna taste test it in two days and see if it's ready and if not let it keep going for you know a day at a time until i get the flavor extract i want which we'll probably be talking about very soon unless some other weird thing or notable thing happens between that and the tasting it is two days after putting that bourbon soaked wood into the old ale and I took my first taste not expecting to want to pull the wood and leave it as it is, but that's exactly what I just did. It's just got just enough wood without being overwhelming. Little bit of bourbon in there. Would have liked a little more bourbon, so I might consider that next time I make this. But the wood was just enough, definitely recognizable without being the only flavor. So pulled the wood, capped off some CO2 in the keg. I'm probably going to carbonate it today because there's really no sense in cleaning it. It's a wood-aged beer, which means it's going to be kind of murky looking as it is. So I think I'm going to go ahead and carbonate it. And when I get to bottling and tasting it, we're going to find out exactly how all of that melded together. It is tasting time for the barrel aged old ale and insert air quotes where appropriate. And I'd be lying if I didn't say this is probably the most excited I've been in a while to try beer. And I have tasted it along the way so i i kind of know where this is going and here's here's the thing i'm going to mention this right off the bat this is very young for an old ale this type of very complex heavily malted strong abv beers tend to age very well and adding the addition of wood and bourbon to it should if it's balanced right and if it's a good combination should aid and add to that aging. So this is only a month old. In fact, it's two days short of a month old if you count the day I pitched the yeast. So this is very young. I, it, When we get to the questions, if I enter it in a competition, there's there's no way this is going into anything until the end of the year. It, it'll go into, if it goes into competition, it'll go to the last one of the year or the first one of the year um, before. Uh, there's a or not the year before the year after I'll, I'll explain that well why i'm that decision here shortly because let's get to the tasting first we'll go we'll look at the color the color is 
gorgeous. It's the, the really no difference from the regular old ale. A nice mahogany, almost mahogany, a little lighter than maho- mahogany, uh, copper color. Hardly any head to speak of. It's very rocky. The, this old ale already kind of forms a rocky head. I don't know. I'm not sure which malt actually does that. Um, and then the bourbon and wood kind of kill the head. So there is there is actually an interesting layer of really super fine bubbles on top of this. But then the then it it falls into a coarse collar of bubbles, and that's that that's no surprise. That that's wood and uh, bourbon always tend to kill the head on these bourbon aged beers of any kind. So we'll go to the aroma now. And there is just that complex sweet malts all just rolling off top of that little bit of sweet alcohol presence, um, little, little heat to it as well without it being burning. And then along with all that, there is a, a wood presence, almost a significant wood presence. Like, I wouldn't say dominant wood, but uh, definitely, definitely there. Definitely a piece of this. So, all right, into the tasting. The final tasting for this episode, but not the final tasting of this beer overall. But let's see where this beer is headed. There's so much going on in this beer. Oh, my God. I'm not even sure I can describe everything all at once. I'm going to have to take another taste and, 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 and do the best I can here. So the wood presence is definitely shows up on the palate, but is mostly in the finish and kind of goes away in the aftertaste. And right now there is a little bit of young rawness to it. I think that's going to mellow out. Um, it's It wasn't young wood, obviously. It was charred uh, French oak, but I think that has yet to melt in completely, but it's still very complimentative. And then bef- there's so much going on. Before that, let me, I, I'm going to have to sip it. This is going to be a lot of very sip-heavy episode. So first on the tongue and palate is all those sweet caramel malts and a little bit, just a touch of a little bit of that alcohol burn. Uh, like I said, in the finish is the wood, but leading into the finish, in that transition point from your palate, uh, the wash over your palate into swallowing, there is a really nice natural vanillin, which is uh, almost it's an earthy vanilla is the best way to describe it. If you've never had tasted vanilla in a vanilla character from a wood, and rather just no vanilla through a vanilla bean or vanilla extract, there's just a certain there's a there's an earthiness to it that's a little different than that type of vanilla, and that is that leads from that that is a transition flavor from those sweet malts to the wood, and then in the finish. Uh, let's see. I'm gonna um, or the aftertaste. I should say. So let's see, the finish into the aftertaste. Let me let me get a sip here so I can <laughs> better describe that. So the wood goes in to start the aftertaste, but then fades into a little bit of alcohol warmth, a little bit of the sweet malt, and I'd say that's where a little just a hint of bitterness comes out, but there's so much malt forwardness and so much character from the wood in this that the bitterness is, it's an afterthought. You actually have to look for it. You have to really sit and concentrate on what flavors you're getting like I just did to get the bitterness. I think if I poured someone a pint of this and we're just talking and I said nothing about any characteristic, you would never pick bitter. At least it would not be in your top 10, maybe top 20 descriptors of this. It's all sweet, all wood, all vanilla. And when I say sweet, 
it's multi sweet. It's beer sweet. It's ale sweet. It is not sugary sweet. There's really no sugar character in this. I guess caramel is sort of derived from sugars, but there's no direct sugary sweetness. There's no like um, burnt sugars. There's no brown sugar taste. It's all from the malt and then the wood addition by the melon. It's so, <laughs> this is such a ridiculously complex beer that I can't believe two days of wood aging did this to this beer. Now, one thing that's missing, and I just realized it, I'm going to taste it again. If there's a bourbon character to this, it is completely lost to everything else in there. I Now that I sipped it with the bourbon in mind, I think I'm detecting it, but it might be my brain telling me to find it. Because one, I know for a fact it's in there and I'm also looking for it. If I told someone that didn't have any idea what this beer was and I told them, do you taste bourbon? I'm not sure they'd say yes, because they don't have that bias that I have that I, I know it's in there. So that's something I would change. That's like the only thing I would change so far. I need to let this beer age and in, in, in at least six months, if not more, taste it again, because I want to see where the wood goes. Like I said, there's a little bit of a rawness to it, but not unpleasant at all. In fact, I, 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 if, if I would lose that by making any change or lose all the wood character by trying to get rid of that that particular piece of the wood character, that little segment of it that makes the overall flavor, I would leave it in because I don't want to lose any of the other wood, the great stuff that comes from the wood. So what I would change, though, and, and I will change, I think, when I make this again, which is coming up very soon, um, I would definitely add more of a bourbon character. I don't, I don't want it to be boozy, but I want you to know that there's bourbon in there. I want it to express itself rather than having to be told. And when I enter this, this particular batch, I want to get, see what this is like, like I said, in at least six months, I am going to declare that it's bourbon barrel aged. And I may even describe the type of bourbon. So I'm going to try to lead the judge with as much information in mind when he tastes this as they can, but I'd rather it express itself without me having to point it out. And that's what I'll do different the next time. What else would I do different? Positively, not, absolutely nothing. Absolutely positively nothing. Let's, let's get the whole phrase. The base beer I already knew was good. So I knew that was going to at least be a good part of this. The wood is fantastic. I, I might play with other woods, but for the next batch, I'm going with the medium toast French oak again. Now, that is a wild card variable that I can't say two days is going to be too little or too much time the next time I make it because I think it's going to be different every time. So I'm going to constantly taste this as it ages, in quotes, to make sure I get the same flavor profile. I really don't want any more, and I don't want any less. I want it exactly like this. So I'll probably start tasting it after two days. And then if it's, I'm going to make a two and a half gallon batch. So it may take longer this time. Although I am going to put, you know, the calculated amount more of wood. So it might, it, it may. What we're going to find that out when, when we get to that. That's, that's about a month away that I'm going to brew that beer. Um, will I enter in a competition? Yeah, I think I've already explained that. Now, what I'm saying as far as which one, the last competition of the Florida circuit last season, 2020, had unlimited entries. If they have that again, I'll enter it because all it's going to do is cost me the entry fee. Well, and those beers, but I'll, I'll get feedback. I don't usually enter beers just for feedback, but this is one that I'm going to do. Now, if they have a cap on their entries, like three or four, I probably won't enter it. I'll, I'll probably uh, enter... Um, some things that I'm more 
I have a better chance of what I think I have a better chance of winning because my my points going into the rest of the season so far are, are quite high so I want to put my best chances in rather than rolling the dice in that last one unless things go completely south in the next few competitions and then maybe we'll see but let's assume fingers crossed air quotes all that that my point tally continues to grow and not level out and I can worry about that uh more when the time comes i don't even want to discussing that now now so like i said if that competition is an unlimited entries i'll save it for the first competition of the following season because that's a whole new slate and that'll be the start of any points for anybody so i won't be as worried about maintaining points so that's where that comes from that's something i'll probably discuss as we get closer to the end of the year as i talk about these things um man i don't know what else. i said what i changed what i brought again of course and um, when I enter competition, I think those are the three questions. I am just going to enjoy the hell out of what I have left on this because I, if it is, I'm saving enough bottles for competition, which means I have one bottle left, two bottles left. Sorry, I have two bottles left after that from the saving three for competition, the one I poured now, and then two more. I got six bottles out of this. I think that's from the uh, different testing and tastings and the way I handled the beer for this one gallon batch. So that's, that's, uh, that's good and bad. It, it didn't on the good side. I got a great test of how the beer is. I didn't waste a lot, which in, in the end I wouldn't have had luckily because <clears throat> it came out good, but there's that potential of it going bad on the bad side is I had to make it again to get more. Cause I only have a few and most of those are spoken for more than half of those are spoken for. So all right, that is it. I am just, I'd love to say speechless, but I'm just talking in circles because what I really want to do is hit stop and save on this recording so I can get back to enjoying this beer, which is what I'm going to do. So this episode has probably been quite long because it's a new facet to my brewing and a new style. So we had a lot of information to go over. So based on that assumption i haven't edited it yet that <laughs> this is very long i will have to say of course thank you for listening which i would say anyway and i'll be back i have another beer following this that i have to review though i might save that to tomorrow because i might want to just end my night on this beer but until then i'll be back with another beer episode very soon so again of course thank you for listening and i'll see you in that next episode <laughs>